How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. This morning's message comes out of Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. The scripture says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Let the word be clear, comprehensible. Let it change every heart and every mind. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a quaint village surrounded by rolling hills and a vast vineyard, there was a famous winemaker in ancient Israel. For generations, his family had made the most exquisite wines in that particular region, and there was a village in that region that tasted of his wines often, and it was the boast of this region. One day, a prince came to visit with his entourage as they were passing through the land. The prince noticed two things as he passed through and toured this village. The first thing he noticed was a young lady who caught his eye. She was the most beautiful thing that he had ever seen before in his life, and he instantly fell in love. The problem was the young prince was too young to marry, as was the young lady, and he knew that it would be seven years before he could possibly make her his bride. But nonetheless, he approached her father with his entourage, and he said to her father, your daughter is very beautiful in my eyes. I would like her to be my wife. I would like to betroth her to be my wife. And the father agreed. And the prince said, in seven years, I will return and she will become my wife. We'll have a wedding feast right here in this village. The prince returned to his land, but before he returned to his land, he visited the winemaker. He tasted of the wines. And he said to the winemaker, your wines are the most exquisite thing that I've ever tasted, but I have a special request for you. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a, a pouch of seeds. And he said, these seeds are of the grapes that come from my land. And there's nothing like them in all the world. I want you to plant these seeds and I want you to make a batch of special wine, new wine for my marriage feast when I return in seven years. The winemaker was ecstatic, old and gray as he was, the deep set wrinkles on his face and the gray in his beard, a testament to the many years that he spent toiling in the sun, tending his vines and perfecting his craft. And with care and with deftness of skill, he plants the seeds just in the right place. 
And in the first year, he began to watch the shoots come out of the ground. And the second and third year, he began to see the vines taking shape and growing around the trellises that he had built. And the fourth year, the wines began to bear fruit, but he knew that this fruit was not the fruit for the wine. It was just the beginning. And in the fifth year, he began to harvest the grapes. And finally, in the sixth year, the harvest came and the grapes were ready. The the grapes were harvested from the vines and then they were taken to the press and there was a great party as they trampled the grapes underfoot and watched the juice pour into the vats to be stored. Elias was his name. His apprentice was his young son, Mishael. And he said to Mishael, this is going to be the most special wine that we have ever prepared. The village was ecstatic. Everyone was excited about the wedding festival that was to come in one year. And Mishael was given the task of storing the wine in the skins so that it could ferment over the next year and be ready for the feast. Mishael, in his excitement, lacked a little bit of knowledge, but he was very excited. He went into the storage room where all of the wineskins were being stored. The way they made wineskins in those days is they would take the hide of a goat, an entire goat. They would cut off the legs and they would cut off the head and they would sew up the legs and then they would turn it inside out and they would tan it so that it was waterproof. And then they would fill the goat skin with the wine. That's how they stored the wine. They stored it in the wine skin, which was an entire goat. And then they would sew up the neck and let it ferment in the storehouse for at least a year, sometimes more. And when the wine would ferment, the gases would expand, and the wine would expand and expand and expand. But Mishael, he knew that this was a special wine, and so he believed, we need a special skin. So he went into the storehouse, and he looked through all of the skins, and he found at the back of the storehouse the most beautiful skin he had ever seen. It was decorated, and it was not like the other skins just sitting on the counter. It was on the wall, and it was ornate, and it was beautiful, and he knew that it was the oldest skin. Matter of fact, Elias's great-great-great-grandfather had made that skin and used it for the first vintage of wine that he had ever made. Mishael thought, there's no better skin for this wine and there's no better wine for this skin. He takes down the skin, he fills it with wine, he sews up the neck, and he puts it in storage to ferment for the next year. Meanwhile, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, three men approach the village from the distance on camels. And these camels are loaded down with bags and bags and bags. When the men get to the village, they realize that the men have been sent by the prince. And when they open the bags that these men brought, they were filled with wedding garments. And the men said, the prince sends these garments ahead of himself. And he says, these are the garments for the entire village to clothe yourselves in preparation for the wedding feast. And the people rejoiced, but when they took out the garments, the garments were not fully made. Instead, the garments were just huge pieces of cloth. And so they employed the women of the village to sew the garments together so that they were full garments, so that everyone had a full garment. But there were some in the village who were very sentimental. There was 
particular individuals, older individuals especially, who remembered the wedding feasts of the past. See, it had been many years since there was a grand wedding feast in that village. But they remembered the great wedding feasts of the past, and they went into their closets, and they pulled out their old garments. And they said, this is my wedding garment. I'm going to wear this garment to the feast. But they noticed that over the years, the moths had eaten holes in their garments. And so they went and took pieces of cloth that had been sent from the prince to patch up the holes in their garment. And they looked at the patches and said, this is it. This is beautiful. Well, the time was almost nigh. Just a few days before the prince would return, a few days before the feast would begin, a few days before the celebration would ensue. And Elias and Mishael are in the great banquet hall making plans placing the wine goblets on every table and place settings, making sure everything is just so. When in the midst of their pre preparations, all of a sudden they hear, pow! Almost sounds like a gunshot. And Elias bows his head because he knows exactly what he will see when he enters the storehouse. And he looks at Mishael and he says, which wineskin did you use for the new wine? And Mishael says, I used the most beautiful skin that I could find in the storehouse. It was the skin of your great, 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 great grandfather. And Elias says, come with me, my son. And when they enter the storehouse, the wine skin had exploded and the new wine was splattered all over the storeroom. And Elias says, my son, you can't put the new wine into an old skin because the new wine expands, but the old skin is not expandable. Thankfully, Elias himself had filled a few new skins with some of the new wine and they were preserved. The feast had not yet been ruined, but on the day of the feast, a number of individuals showed up at the door only to turn and walk away in shame because the garments, the old garments that they had tried to patch, when they put them in the washing machine and then threw them in the dryer and took them out of the dryer, they realized that the patches had pulled away from the garment and made the tears worse. Half the village did not show up to the wedding feast because they were ashamed of the holes in their garment. But when the prince returned, a smaller crowd than he wanted to see was present for the celebration. But the crowd that was there were clothed in the new garments and they drank of the new wine and there was great joy in that village. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> three parables appear in this passage of Scripture. And all three of these parables work together. The first parable Jesus gives is the parable of the bridegroom and the friends of the bridegroom. Now, before we get to the parable, we have to understand the context of what's happening here. The disciples of John come to Jesus and say, 
Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Does that sound strange to you? First of all, that John the Baptist still has disciples. What are you discipling them for? You had one job. Introduce people to Jesus. You had one job. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when that was done, your job was done. You should have become one of his disciples. But now you still got your own disciples? And secondly, look at the spirit of the disciples of John. Why do we and the Pharisees, we and the Pharisees, John was confronting the Pharisees. His disciples are wanting to be like them. John was the guy that the Pharisees hated because he got in their faces about their sins. But now the disciples of John, they want to hobnob with the Pharisees. They want to emulate them. Shouldn't the disciples of John at least be trying to emulate the disciples of Jesus? Shouldn't they be following Jesus around to see how he does it? But instead, John's disciples come to Jesus going, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. Translation, I thought you were supposed to be like the guy. I thought you were supposed to be really spiritual. I thought you were, you know, you were supposed to be more spiritual than the Pharisees. Why do the Pharisees fa pray more than you? Why do the Pharisees fast more than you? When I look at the spiritual discipline people, I'm seeing the Pharisees. Your disciples are just constantly eating and drinking and laughing and having parties. And what are you doing? Walking around, just sitting down, talking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What's all that? I want to see some real spiritual rigor, some fasting and praying, some weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because how else is God going to approve of you unless you fast and pray and weep and cry out to God? And Jesus responds, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Translation, you don't know who I am. I came to bring a feast to the earth. I came to call out a bride and schedule a celebration at the end of the age. And I came to call my disciples to be friends of the bridegroom. Now, you've got to understand that in the ancient world, to be called the friend of the bridegroom was the highest honor. Why? Because the bride and the bridegroom did not talk to each other during their period of betrothal. So how did they communicate with one another? Through the friend of the bridegroom. If the bride had something that he wanted to say to the bridegroom, she wanted to say to the bridegroom, she called the friend of the bridegroom. Tell your friend, I said this. And the friend of the bridegroom would go to the bridegroom and say, the bride says this. And if the bridegroom wanted to say something to the bride, he said it through his friend. They were representatives or mediaries in a sense. They were in between the bride and the bridegroom. And so for an entire year, the friend of the bridegroom, sometimes longer than a year, depending on the, the time of the betrothal, the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom was dependent upon the faithfulness of the friend of the, bride, of the bridegroom, the best man. Number two, the friend of the bridegroom 
was responsible for the protection of the bride until the day of the marriage. He was a guard or a guardian over the bride. Nobody could approach the bride without getting through him, and he would give his life to protect the bride. He surrounded the bride. He made sure nobody messed with her. He made sure nobody touched her. He made sure nobody deceived her. Nobody could whisper in her ear and tell her lies about the bridegroom. He was constantly watching her, listening to her, making sure she had everything she needed. And then number three, the friend of the bridegroom on the day of the celebration of the, of the wedding was the guardian of the marriage chamber. You see, in the ancient world and in ancient Israel especially, the wedding celebration was not over until the marriage was consummated. I mean, the feast is going on, and there was a certain moment in the feast when the bride and the bridegroom would go into the wedding chamber, the marriage chamber, and consummate the marriage while the guests are outside. <laughs> because if it don't go down, then the wedding is not complete. And the friend of the bride, the friend of the bridegroom would stand outside the door of the wedding chamber and guard it. Nobody disrupts their intimacy without killing me. I don't care if war breaks out in here. Nothing's going to stop the intimacy that's going on in this room. The consummation will happen and I will ensure it with my life. And then finally... The friend of the bridegroom was responsible to receive the confirmation of the bride's virginity, which we ain't got to get into. But he would take that proof of the bride's virginity and show it to everyone at the wedding feast. And that concluded the feast. It's done. The marriage is done. Jesus says of his disciples, these are the friends of the bridegroom. That's what the call to ministry is all about, to be friends of the bridegroom to understand that he scheduled a, ma a marriage, a wedding, a wedding supper of the Lamb. And if you go all the way to the back of the book, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, John says, And I heard, as it were, were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Verse 8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Jesus says, I came to schedule a wedding, a marriage supper. And these disciples of mine are my friends. Now, when the bridegroom is hanging out with the friends of the bridegroom in preparation for the wedding celebration, it is not appropriate to be on a fast during that time. That's not time to fast. Why? Because fasting in ancient Israel was primarily about mourning. When you read the Old Testament, you see every time they fast, they fasted as a sign of their mourning and weeping and lamenting and repentance. When the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 586 B.C., they had a yearly fast in which they lamented the destruction of the temple. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, where they would fast and mourn for their sins. 
It was about mourning what you do not have. Jesus said, they can't mourn what they do not have when they have me, when I'm here with them. The mark of their spirituality is not mourning, it's it's rejoicing because I'm with them. The Pharisees actually had taken it a step further. They fasted twice a week. What for? I don't know. They just, we're going to fast twice. If the Bible says fast once a year, we're going to fast twice a week. That was what, that was the essence of Pharisaicalism is let's just take it to another level. Let's just do more. I mean, if, if, if one time pleases God, surely 104 times is really going to please God. God loves one fast a year. We're going to do 104 fasts a year. We're really going to be in there with God. And Jesus says in another place in Matthew, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees. Because they don't do their hair. They put on old clothes because they want you to know that they're fasting. If you saw a Pharisee, you knew he was fasting because he was walking around like this. What's wrong with you, brother? You sick? No, I'm fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, I want you to anoint your head with oil, put on your Murray's grease or whatever you put in your hair. Put on clean clothes. I want you to shave and brush your teeth. I don't want anybody to look at you and know that you're fasting. Why? It's supposed to be a secret. But I digress. Jesus says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come in which the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Jesus says, I'm the prince who's visited the village called Earth. And I've betrothed the bride to me, but I'm going to go back to my country. And when I'm taken away from them, then they will fast. Then all of a sudden, he changes channels real quick and goes to another parable. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. And then all of a sudden, he goes to a third parable. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Lest the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new skins, and both are preserved. You don't understand any of those parables until you understand that all three of them work together. The bridegroom is talking about the wedding supper of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great feast. The garment is the garment, the, the marriage garment. And the wine is the wine that is to, sell, to, be, to be the celebration of the feast. All three are talking about the consummation, the end of the age, the coming when the Lord comes, descends from heaven with a shout, and those dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He's talking about that marriage supper of the Lamb. But if we drill down just a little bit deeper, there's a couple things we see. The unshrunk garment and the wine skin. These two parables are the same but different because you notice that the new garment shrinks, but the new wine skin expands. When Jesus is talking about the old garment, he's talking about your old way of life. And when he's talking about the old wine skins, he's talking about your old way of life. When he's talking about the new garment, He's talking about the new way of life that he comes to bring. 
And when he talks about the new wine, he's talking about the new way of life that he comes to bring. However, the garment is external, is what clothes you. But the wine is internal. It's what fills you. Jesus says, there's two characteristics to the new way of life that I'm bringing. The first is that I've come to clothe you. And the second is that I've come to fill you. I've come to clothe you and I've come to fill you. But I can't clothe you as long as you're still wearing the old garment of your old way of life. See, a lot of people come to Christ because they discover a hole in their old garment. And all they want from Jesus is a patch for the old garment. Just give me a patch. I need a patch in my finances. I need a patch in my marriage. I need a patch in my physical health. See, a lot of folks come to Jesus for only one thing. I came to church because I needed a wife. I came to church because I lost my job. A lot of folks come to Jesus because they just want him to fix one hole in their old garment. And Jesus is saying, I am not a patch to be sewn into your old garment. When you come to me, you got to throw off that old garment. I've got a completely new garment for you. Because your old garments can't shrink anymore. What does that mean? Your old garments can't shrink anymore because your old way of life was characterized by your own effort, by your own strength, by what you could do for yourself. And in your old, in your own effort, you tried to please God by fasting and praying and abstaining from things and living right and doing good. And you tried to please yourself. By fixing areas of your life where we're broken and perfecting yourself and improving yourself and doing and helping yourself self-help. And you're trying to do both God help and self-help by your own power. That's your old way of life. And Jesus would often look at the Pharisees and say, you guys are trying to do God help in your own strength. And then he would look at the, 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 the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and say, y'all are trying to do self-help by your own power. And both of you are lost. Because everything you're doing is in your own power. you got to take off the garments of your own power and your own strength and your own righteousness and your own fulfillment and your own satisfaction and throw them down and I will clothe you in my righteousness and in my strength and in my power and in my satisfaction and in my fulfillment. Because the garments of Jesus, they never stop shrinking. We still haven't explained that, have we? What does it mean that the garments of Jesus shrink, but your garments have stopped shrinking? He's talking about sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which God shrinks your sense of self, your sense of self-capacity, self-actualization, self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency, until you're crucified with Christ. And you can say, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm done with my own strength. I'm done with my old ways. I've I've, I've cast off that garment. The garments of Christ have shrunk me down to nothing. But your own garments, you can't shrink anymore in those garments. You've gone as far as you can go in your own effort. Your garments can't shrink anymore. The garment that he puts over your outside and clothes you with shrinks you down to nothing. Uh 
to where it's just Christ. And it takes a lifetime to where it's just Christ. No longer I who live, Christ lives in me. Let me tell you something. There's still a little I in there with me. I'm I'm just being honest. Still a little Benjamin in there. Y'all see it sometimes. You hear it come out. Like, what did he just say? Lord, help that man. Shrink him, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Just shrink them new garments a little bit more. (laughs) He's still wearing the undershirt of the old garment. Help help him to take them undershirts off. (laughs) You know, put him in the old robe. Put him in the new robe and shrink him down a little bit more. If some of y'all have been with me for 20 years and you know, (laughs) I've done some shrinking over the last 20 years, but the rest of you know I still got some more shrinking to do. Come on, somebody. But the new wine is ever expanding. The new wine is ever expanding. The new garment is ever contracting, shrinking you down to nothing. But the new wine is ever expanding, blowing you up and growing you up. And, and listen, listen, your old wine skin can't expand anymore. You've gotten as big as you can get in yourself by your own strength and by your own power. And if God put new wine in you, you would pop. Some of you are at the brink of what you can do by your own power. And if God gave you one more thing, you would just pop. You see, the hallmark of the old way of life, especially for the Pharisees, was the law. The law was actually the old wineskin. And the point of the parable is not that the law is obsolete and useless and valueless. Jesus said... If you pour the new wine into the old skin, the wine skin breaks, the wine is spilt, and the wine skin is ruined. He mentions the wine skin twice to let us know that the loss of the wine skin is just as catastrophic as the loss of the new wine. To let us know that he didn't come to abolish the old covenant, but to fulfill it. That's why Elias kept the old wineskin on the wall as a sign of the legacy handed down to him from generation to generation. Jesus says, I just can't pour the new wine of the kingdom into it. The new wine requires the new mind. The new wine requires the new mind. Listen, if you've been asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and if not, you need to be asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, because if you're not asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, that means that you're doing fine in your own strength. If you're not asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, that means you feel just fine with what you got, with who you are, with what you can do in your own power. But when you come to the realization that my power and my strength just ain't going to cut it anymore, the, very, the natural result is you begin to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to empower you, to strengthen you, to fill you to overflowing with the new wine that is ever expanding. But he won't do it until you put on the new mind, the new wine requires the new mind. And some of us just want God to give us power to do one thing. (laughs) And just as the new garment is not a patch that can be sewn into your old way of life, so the new wine cannot be poured into your old way of life. You gotta be willing to lay it all down. It costs you everything. And most people aren't willing to. Most people aren't willing to. And that's why there's a lot of folks that walk away from the feast because they got holes in their garments 
and their wineskins have popped. But this morning, God is simply looking for those who would say, I'm ready. I'm ready to discard my old garments so that you can clothe me. See, we don't like discarding our old garments because it feels like I'm just going to be naked. And I don't want to be exposed and humiliated. Do you think God wants to expose and humiliate you? No. He wants to clothe you and cover you. And this was the problem in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, all they could do was use fig leaves. But when God clothed them, first he took off the fig leaves and then clothed them in garments of skin, which means he made them leather suits. I mean, they had a disco. <laughs> the garments that God has for you are superior to the garments of your own mind. And the wine that God has for you is superior to the vintage of your old way of life. And when you really get that revelation, it's a joyful thing to discard your old garments and to discard your old skin. It's a joyful thing to receive the new wine and to be clothed in the new garments. But God has to reveal that to you. Because most of us, we persist in our old ways and we don't even know it. I see Sister Rhonda over here our second most senior member in the church. And today happens to be her birthday. She's been walking with the Lord for a lot of years. But her garments are still expanding. I mean, her garments are still contracting and her wineskin is still expanding. You've walked with the Lord for a lot of years, and you've been faithful. And the Lord's well done rests over your life today. Amen? Amen. Give her one more hand of applause. <laughs> Yesterday was Pastor Dyrell's birthday. I call him my older brother by five days. <laughs> Happy birthday, old man. We got about the same amount of hair. But you also have been faithful to the Lord. And I've watched your garments shrink and your wineskin expand over the last 22 years. You've been faithful to God. Almost nothing like being able to look back over a period of years and say, wow, he's walked with me. When I first started walking with him, I had stuff in my life that I never thought I could break free from. And I look back over the years and say, I forgot about that. 
I forgot he freed me from that. That's right, I forgot I was bound with that. Do you know that you can be so free that you even forgot that you were ever bound? It's kind of like if you've been married for a number of years, it almost feels like you were never not married. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like I've been married to her for more years than I was single. I just can't remember what it was like not to be married. That's what it's like when you're walking with the Lord. That's right. He delivered me of my anxiety. I forgot all about that. That's right. I used to get those night terrors. And a lot of times when you're talking to young folks, young in Christ, you can hear that sound in their voice. And the sound in their voice is, I mean, I know he's all powerful and all, but can he help me? I know he can heal, but can he heal me? I know he can free, but can he free me? And all of a sudden you look back on your own life and remember, you know what? Now that you mention that, I used to struggle with just that. It's just been so long, I forgot. But when you look back over your life and you remember what God's done, the revelation that comes out of that is the truth that if he began a good work in me, he's going to finish it. I mean, God is faithful. And when I say that God is faithful, I mean the dude finishes what he starts. That's what it means that he doesn't change his mind. He says, I am not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should change my mind. Doesn't mean he doesn't change his plan, but he changes his plan to keep his will. Sometimes he sees you making a left turn when you should have made a right turn. You know what he does? He reroutes the heavenly GPS to get you back on track. He changed his plan. That wasn't the plan to get you there. He will change his plan to fulfill his will and get you back to the place that he determined to get you. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But every day we have a task. Lord, if there's any of my own garments that I've put back on, help me to take them back off and put on your new garment. And frustration with my inability to change is a sign that I'm living in my old garments because they can't shrink anymore. I just don't think I can break free. Of course you can't because you're wearing your old garments. I just don't think I can. I just don't think I can fix it. You, you're right, you can't fix it. Take off the garments of thinking you're supposed to. But God has garments. He comes to clothe you in a garment of righteousness. And the garment of righteousness can cover you and fix it. And the garment of righteousness clothes you on the outside. And then the wine of the Spirit fills you on the inside. You know how wonderful it is to be clothed on the outside with the righteousness of Christ and filled on the inside with the spirit of the living God? That is what the life of the believer is supposed to be. But you got to ask him. You got to ask him. The woman at the well said, give me this water that I might drink and never thirst again. And Jesus said, go get your husband. What are you talking about? I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. You had five, and the one you would now ain't your husband, so you're right, you ain't got a husband. Translation, I want to give you the new water. 
but you got to let go of your old water pot. You kept trying to get fulfillment by finding a husband. Let that go. Now you're going to find fulfillment from knowing me. Let go of whatever you think you need, whatever you think you don't have. Let go of the lament and embrace the invitation. Let him who is thirsty come to me and drink, Jesus said. You'll find rest for your souls. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word is settling into every heart and every mind and every soul. Lord, I pray today that there would be an exchange of garments, the old for the new. We've been trying so long and so hard to patch up our old garments. Father, I pray today that the truth of the Spirit would sink into every one of our hearts and minds to the extent that we release no more of the old garment. I'm ready to let it go. Clothe me. I need you to clothe me. I can't fix myself. I need you to fix me. I can't free myself. I need you to free me. And I pray for an exchange of the old wineskin for the new wineskin, the new mind. Renew us in the spirit of our minds for the new wine, new mind. New wine requires the new mind. Give us the new mind so that you might freely fill us. It's ever increasing. Of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. The new wine is constantly expanding, constantly increasing. We know when we're filled with the new wine because our vision increases, our strength increases. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God, give us the new wine of the Spirit that it, would, might, be, that it might be ever expanding in our souls. I speak blessing and encouragement in Jesus' mighty name I pray. I want us to just remain in this place. We're just going to sing that song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit.